welcome back to Traveling Transgressions. If you haven't listened to part one of Debbie Carter's story, go back and take a listen. Otherwise, let's wrap up this pit stop and continue our journey. When we left off, Gore had been convicted and sentenced to life without parole. Okay, so let's talk about the corruption in this case for a minute. Okay. Okay, so we have Terry Carpenter and her husband who saw Glenn fighting with Debbie and the police took it out of the report. Correct. We also have Tommy Glover, who also saw him talking to Debbie, and that just didn't go anywhere. Nowhere. We have Ron West, who was never interviewed. Never interviewed. By police until after Gore was arrested, when he actually took it upon himself to go to the police station to make sure he had nothing to do with it. So the only reason we even know about Ron West and that he was used in the trial was because he took the initiative to go and make things right. Yeah, because he didn't want Gore to be able to say like, oh no, it was this other fella and like pin it on him. Yeah, I would kind of be terrified. Like, total self-preservation too. and be- I'm here for it. Because Gore is such a stand-up guy. Yeah. So Gore actually gave two statements in this case. Okay. The first one on December 8th of 82, I think was the actual statement because he said he knew Debbie, but he didn't know of any problems that she had with anybody else that night. The second one, are you ready for this? Wasn't even dated. Why does that not surprise me? Yeah. And that one said that Ron had been at the coach light and that they had been arguing. Now, Chrissy told us in her podcast that uh, Gore actually got a plea deal one week before he testified against Ron and Dennis. One week? Yeah. So he was facing charges on that other thing that you had mentioned. The kidnapping? Uh Uh-huh. And those charges included kidnapping and assault with a dangerous weapon, but kidnapping and the assault with a dangerous weapon were actually dropped. So he was only convicted on two charges, and he got a 40-year sentence. Four years later, hair samples were taken from the scumbag, but no fingerprints or blood. Wait, hair samples weren't even taken until four years later? I don't know. And no fingerprints or blood? Yeah. I just just feel like if you have somebody... I don't know. I don't know how the system works. I'm not going to pretend to know. Why would they intentionally not investigate him? Right? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It brings up questions. Yeah, in addition to the possible drug angle, he said that the DA, who shall remain nameless, told him that if he didn't testify, they would find his prints at the scene. I mean, because that isn't witness tampering or anything. Right. I mean, if you take the word of a killer. That's true. But still. Remember we mentioned the snitch Terry Holland? Mm -hmm. Not Not Terry Carpenter. Not not Terry Carpenter. (laughs) The other Terry. The other Terry. The female jailhouse snitch in both cases, Debbie and Denise's. Mm -hmm. She said that she didn't get anything for testifying, but her fiance only got seven years when he was facing 40. I mean, that's a pretty big discount. Uh, Yeah, but she didn't get anything. She also said that some of the women in the jail slept with jail employees and that it was taped and in the bottom drawer of that same DA's cabinet. Uh Uh-uh. Again, that's if you trust the word of a criminal. So we will leave that up to you guys to decide. Yeah, I did see an interview, though, with her ex-husband, Randall, who was the fiancé at the time. And he said that nothing about the tapes is real. And then immediately after, he said, I have to take a break. 
I, I, I need to take a break. And so he got up and left the room. Now, his son, him and Terry's son, was also in there for that interview. And after Randall left, he said that the tapes are real, but his dad just can't admit it. The son also said that Terry and Randall were actually meth cooks. Terry was third in line in a biker gang. Wow. And that when all of this went down with Williamson, they were told to get out of town. What? Yeah. That's not suspicious at all. Mm-mm. So now that the real killer has been properly convicted with evidence, <laughs> Ron and Dennis are in the clear. So let's talk about life after lockup. After being released from prison, Ron actually called Peggy and in her words, they became quote unquote friends. We had seen in the Netflix series that Ron actually started calling Peggy, uh-huh. Peppy. So how was that, um, knowing that Ron would call and talk to her and that they had gotten this friendship? Um, of course, I didn't know until a little while late. I may not have known that either until after he passed away. The first time he ever called, Debbie's younger sister was there. And mm-hmm. so she, you know, Peppy was like, pick up the phone like go to the other room pick up the phone you are not going to believe who's calling so she heard it as well and you know he would just randomly call they would talk and what was kind of crazy is he never told his attorney who he you know was still very close to or his sisters or anybody I think he he knew that he would have been in so much trouble if they had found out that he would had reached out to her but he never yeah he never (laughs) He never told any of them. And then so they didn't know until Peppy called when she saw that he had passed away in the paper mm-hmm. and told them that, you know, he'd been in contact. So, Wow. Have you ever talked to her about how that relationship was for her as far as, like, was it like they had the, Debbie's whole event in common and that made them connect differently well or how did she the first thing he ever said was i didn't kill your daughter and she said i know that you didn't and so that kind of it was just like they just washed it away you know and so they would talk about just random stuff you know just visit the only thing that he did bring up is he if he ever got on the subject of ricky joe simmons who was Mm -hmm the guy who gave the confession, he would get stuck on that. Like he, mm. he told Peppy, like he wanted to give money to try to make sure that this guy was convicted. And this was after Glenn Gore had already been convicted. Oh, and she would say, you know, I understand, but we, I think we've gotten it all taken care of now and I appreciate it, you know, but he would really get fixated really fixated on, on that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't really think they ever talked about it. Ron's mental health continued to deteriorate and five years later, he died from cirrhosis of the liver. He had been drinking a lot, which mm-hmm. I mean, after what he went through, isn't shocking. Yeah. Dennis Fritz went back to teaching about the criminal justice system and campaigning against the death penalty. Not surprising. He also got to make up for lost time with his daughter, which is really awesome. Like, yeah. That, I'm so glad. Losing 12 years with your I daughter. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Like, if my mom or my dad went to jail, like, I 
Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And let's remember, she already lost her mom. Oh, yeah. Which, so. um, side note, it was not anything to do with Dennis Fritz, the reason that her mom died, like the police had told Debbie's family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, come to find out, her mom was actually murdered by their landlord's nephew. Mm-hmm. Tragically, in March of 2017, Dennis was in a car accident, which resulted in a traumatic brain injury and early onset dementia. That's so sad. This isn't stopping his daughter from spending all the time in the world she can with her dad. I bless that poor family. They've had it so rough. Yeah. As we were wrapping up our research on this episode, we found out there was a major shakeup that happened in March of this year. Wait, this case had another shakeup? Yeah. How How much much more? more... Shaking up, can you get? Yeah. Bossy v. Oklahoma was decided, and it stated that the Chickasaw Nation Indian Reservation was never disestablished by Congress. What this means is that the state of Oklahoma does not have the jurisdiction to try cases that were committed on tribal land. Explain. So Ada is located in Pontotoc County, which is smack dab in the middle of tribal land. Oh no. Yeah. This monster had his conviction vacated due to post-conviction relief. Oh no. What does that mean? So it means that he should have been released from prison. However, as of March 25th of this year, he had not yet been indicted, but the U.S. District Attorney had already filed criminal complaints, so he won't be released from prison. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Instead, he was taken into custody by the U.S. Marshals, and when we talked to Christy, she said this had been on the horizon for a while and kind of gave us a little bit more information. So, Bossy v. Oklahoma. How has that impacted your family? Yeah. How is Or is that just like one more bring it back around? How is it getting the news has... Well, back toward about the the end of when we were wrapping up the series I I had read then so about four years ago I read an article about a lower court ruling and I have a sister-in-law who is a tribal attorney and so I immediately called her and said what does this mean how you know you know and she's like I don't know I have to read everything like I have an eight o'clock meeting with my boss like I I Mm -hmm. you know and so I knew that this was a possibility a few years ago and just kind of kept up with it. I did not say anything to my family at the time because I, I didn't know how that was going to turn out. And, mm-hmm. and I really didn't have any answers other than right. at that time, I think a three panel judge had said, you know, that they agreed and mm-hmm. upheld it. And, and so I really didn't have any answers for them. When the McGirt ruling came down, and then it kind of was on pause. And then with the bossy ruling, it happened really fast. Mm-hmm. Like in a day or so. Having to tell them, like, do you understand what's going on? Like, this is what's happening. Like, right. you know, they're moving fast on this stuff. I agree with the McGirt ruling. I mean, just because we've been doing something wrong for the last however many hundred years does not mean that we should continue to do that. We need right. to honor the treaties that mm-hmm. were signed right. a long time ago. Yeah. It has adversely affected Debbie's case in that it was dismissed out of the state courts and picked up by the federal courts. And so it'll go to its fifth trial, probably the first part of next year. I do know that like the FBI has picked up everything and and so all of the evidence, all the st- it's all with the FBI now. Did they have to take the belt back from? They have not yet. 
that is a possibility. With all the other stuff they have, I don't. I hope that they don't. Yeah. But it's a possibility. Do you think this is a good thing for the case or for the case I mean I hate to see it go to trial again what is interesting could go either way in that one it's 40 years old Mm -hmm. or to see how it plays out when the people that are involved at this point don't have any skin in the game right right they don't and that could go either way as well but they don't the people who are looking at this now don't know the players involved mm-hmm. and work with the players involved and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see to see what happens. And like I said, years ago, I mean, I knew that this was a possibility that it was coming. And I really kind of thought, you know, no, this won't, you know, surely not. Mm-hmm. And had kind of thought maybe it would be where if they'd gone through their appeals and stuff that they wouldn't qualify I mean you know there was all these what ifs and maybe and we don't know in Mm -hmm. the beginning and then when the ruling came down it was just like bam no retro I mean it was just everybody and it went that was matter of fact the day I was watching it on different filings and the day that it came out that they were going to dismiss the case I called and they told me that they had been working all day because they were going to release him. No, they didn't though, right? Mm-mm. Okay. And then so, they had, so I'm on the phone. I'm in a ball game, oh, and gosh. I'm on a I'm on the phone calling and you know and and called the the you know the federal victim coordinator and she's like, what? That can't be. And I'm like, that's what they're telling me. And then I talked to her the next day. And she's like, no, everything was fine. I'm like that is thank God, but that is not how that was going down yesterday <laughs> right. afternoon. Yeah. And my daughter said, she said, I knew something was going on because it was cold. And so I was in my little, what my husband calls my chicken coop. Yeah. I was in that little tent thing because it was freezing. It was and all I had a sucker stick and I went to <laughs> on the phone and my sucker stick was wagging and they're like, she's holding court inside the tent again. Because, yeah, they were, said that they were going to. I mean, she she went through this whole process. They were called, you know, getting district attorney's assistance out of court, and they were, you know, wow. planning to call the governor and stop it and all this stuff. And I'm like, what? So I called the federal victim coordinator, and I said, I don't know how much you know about this case, but what I'm telling you is if he, if they let him go, you will not have to worry about prosecuting this case because he'll be gone. Mm-hmm. He's done it before. Google it. Look it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't let him go. Yeah, and, but they were like, "Oh, that wasn't gonna happen." So I don't know. Another case of misinformation. <laughs> so how is Peppy taking this newest? I don't. I don't really know. In that about a year or so ago, she had a stroke, mm. and she's had some other health issues mm-hmm. since then. And so I really don't know how much she knows or understands what's going on. Plus with it being federal you don't hear anything right you know i mean they keep you notified as to what's been filed and that kind of thing but you know there's nothing in the papers and yeah right and that kind of stuff because it's not even the court processes aren't even here they're, mm-hmm. are you yeah. planning on being at the next one mm-hmm. so we'll have to do an update yep after yeah yep. after I'll you plan go. on i plan on being there Every day. And that's in January that it's supposed to be? It's supposed to be. That's the last notification that I've gotten. But, you know, that stuff gets moved oh, yeah. around pretty well. And 
you know, at first I asked her, I said, will this take, so are we talking about a couple of years? And they were like, oh no, federal system moves much faster. She said, Thank as a matter of fact, that this would have happened in, within a couple of months, but we've gotten so many filings so mm-hmm. fast that it had been put, you know, for him to be. And I think one of the cases from around here is like going to go to trial like in the next month if they don't plead it out. Oh, wow. So... We well, well at least they're going fast. No kidding. Yeah. Because it's not going to be years before you know something else. That's yeah. Yep. And it's a lot. I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Because it's new for the, I mean, it's new for them as well. This is a, you know, I figure that, you know, this stuff will be litigated for the next 25 years. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Over how many years? Well, and I don't know, going to federal level, does that mean like a whole new round of appeals that are available or do you know? I guess so. We wanted to know more about Debbie and how her death impacted her family. So we asked Christy her favorite memories of Debbie. Do you have a favorite memory? My memories are very specific in that I only have a few, mm-hmm. you know, but one of them would be the time that was driving her crazy and she was about to go to work and I asked her to pull me around, you know, and so she pulled me around the whole block on my skates a couple of times because I wouldn't leave her alone. <laughs> and then the other thing that I really remember was sitting on like the pillows at the head of her bed and watching her, like she had a vanity next to the bed and watching her put mascara and stuff on because I was mesmerized about how you could get that close to your eyeball (laughs) and not like touch your eye you know and I was remember just staring watching her put on mascara I do I remember going to her apartment I think I probably was you know she only lived there for 60 days so I might have only been up there one time I think I went with my I remember being there with Debbie's mom and I I want to say that my another one of my mom's sisters were there as well that is really I mean like I said I just have a handful of them that are pretty clear, but that's all. Those are good ones. Yeah. I can picture her sitting there in awe of her big cousin, and it just melts my heart. Yeah, it takes me back to when I was looking up to my big cousins, and it was just such a huge part of my childhood. Yes, and I remember... Like, watching people put on makeup, like, even when I was a young teenager watching my friends, I was like, how are you doing that and not, like, stabbing yourself in the eyeball? We also asked Christy if this impacted how she is with her own kids. So, (laughs) has all this impacted how you've raised your kids? Probably. Um, I... I'm an only child, and so I think that really made my mom hover. And then you add, you know, you add all the stuff that happened with Debbie and so close. And you would probably think my three were all only chick because I do the same thing. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, my oldest, when he started to drive, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, I didn't let him drive alone for like two weeks. Even after he had his license, I wouldn't let him drive. And so it was like on a Sunday or whatever, and it was in the middle of, you know, afternoon, it was in the summertime, and he wanted to go to movies, and I was like, eh, you know, I'm humming around. He's like, please, I'm going to have to drive by myself. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. And so finally I agreed, and I remember my husband walked up to him and said, you know, you need to give your mom a break. This is a really big deal for her to let you leave here by yourself. Yeah. And, and I've gotten better. Like, he's off at college and does his own thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think that I keep them, and probably it has not helped that 
I've, you know, been a therapist for as Mm -hmm. long as I have because I've sat with people who've lost children to murder, to cancer, to, you know, whatever, and that probably just reinforces it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what age is acceptable to have (laughs) GPS on your children? Like, 24 still having GPS? Is that okay? And I'm I'm like, yep. And I told him, I said, if you just, if you just give me, like, I just need to know how to get to you. And I'm not right. trying to, you know, put rain on your parade. I don't right. care that you're at the bar. I just need to know which bar. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like I don't. <laughs> right. I don't. Like just give there me was, something. Yeah. Send send your location. Yep. And um, I already don't trust people, so I'm right there with her. As far as she can remember, um, Christy said her family had never really thought about leaving Ada because for a while it was hard, but after the arrest and conviction, that was kind of it. Would you have stayed? I don't know. Like, my initial thought is, uh, no, I wouldn't want to be there. But then at the same time, like, they had the arrest and conviction and, like, I mean, yeah, there's a few years in between, but I don't, I I probably would have ended up staying, like. Yeah, and if that's the only place you know, like, Mm -hmm. you may not have even thought about it. Yeah. That's true. Today, Christy is a counselor, and we asked her if this experience influenced that choice. Of course she said yes, but she also had a funny story about where she initially wanted to take her career. That certainly influenced, you know, the direction that I went in professionally, for sure, because Mm -hmm. at one point I wanted to be a U.S. Marshal, and you've met me, like... Um, it's not about the size yeah. of the dog in the fight. Yeah. And then <laughs> then I was, then, you know, came the whole having to be, like, tased and pepper sprayed and things like that. And I was like, all right, mark that off the list. A minor, a minor will do just fine, thank you. Because I'm not, to get a major, I was going to have to do all that. And I was like, no, good. Oh, that's so much fun. She's also an advocate for Debbie, and she wants to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. But as we found out, change is not an easy thing. So going through all this, are there any like policy changes that you would like to see as far as dealing with these cases and stuff? Is that diving into <laughs> yeah. a lot? Is that, is that a whole nother, That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Um, no, there are lots of things that we need to be doing different. You know, the saying, when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And there's a list of things that we know better we know don't work we know we can be doing better and for whatever reason especially when it comes to criminal justice there is this reluctance to do things differently than we've always done them before and i i don't understand that and no one can explain it either yeah but you know when there's a plane crash there are people literally there within moments to study it and find out what happened and put the pieces all back together mm-hmm. so that it doesn't happen again so that we know what happened we know what happens in these cases too and we continue to do the same crap over and over i don't that i don't understand yeah. I don't understand why we continue to do the things that we know ruins people's lives and then shrug our shoulders and be like, oops. Can't just, oops, I did it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we like. we know that there are so many things that we can be doing different, and yeah. we don't do that. And no, I've yet to understand Is why. there any kind of review board or anything whenever somebody gets exonerated to look at their case and see what happened and see where things went wrong? No. We, I worked for be? a couple of years to start an Oklahoma Innocence Commission that current, that the Oklahoma Bar took up 
a few years later as the Oklahoma Justice Commission. They studied for a couple of years the cases at the time. It came up with some really good recommendations Mm -hmm. that years later none of them were. Not one of those recommendations were taken up by any agency. Then I was on the Death Penalty Review Commission and we studied the process and so some of those obviously those things came under that umbrella and all the recommendations and stuff that are in a 300 some page document a few of the a few of them we have gotten pushed forward but what do you think it'll take to make any meaningful changes i mean is it just getting the information out there is it people stepping up i think part of it is going to be just regular citizens understanding how the system that you think that we have how that really works Mm -hmm. and demanding better from our elected officials from the district attorneys to sheriffs to our legislators to do it different yeah That would be so frustrating, but she takes it in stride. Mm -hmm. We also asked her if she had any advice for others who may be going through the same situation or something similar. Not that this is super common, though. (laughs) Yeah. You don't run into this every day. In your support groups and stuff, what kind of advice did you just drive home? Well, mainly that, you know, I think you're kind of in a small pool of people when you had, you know, a murder or something take place in your family. And then you're even in a smaller pool of people when there's been an exoneration. And just that being together, knowing that you're not alone in this. Because what we found out about exonerations is that it's much harder for people 20 years later than it is two years later. Even if they've gotten compensation or even, you know, whatever. And because there's so much focus focused around the case everything about the case the case, I mean that's what consumes everything for year decades right to then be able to shift that and talk about the harm that was done that we don't you know you're not talking about the case you're not talking about you know depositions and evidence and all that we're, we're not talking about that we're talking about the harm that was done to you you know to try to heal that and so I mean I really don't know that I have really any advice other than finding those same people that have been through the same thing such good advice to focus on healing. So we opened the show with a quote from St. Augustine. It said, The truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. Christy was researching this quote to use as a book title and later on her podcast title. And she came across another quote from a college paper titled, Defending the Lion, The Vulnerability of Truth. And if this doesn't give you chills. So I was, you know, trying to find kind of what I connected with and, you know, different titles. And and I had come across the quote. Yeah, so I was looking for, like, where the quote came from. The truth is like a line. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose and it will defend itself. That was what I was looking for. Which I came across this paper called Defending the Line, The Vulnerability of Truth. And she said, in this paper, she said, We humans are capable of manipulating our world both with concepts and with actions both metaphysically and in reality. We have rendered the lion vulnerable, and it relies on our protection if it is is to prevail. The benefits of defending the lion and whether we have a moral imperative to do so are the truth to be explored. Wow. And I was like, done. That's it? That's it. All in all, this case was a tragedy. Two men lost 12 years of freedom. Debbie's family has had to continue on without her, and Debbie's life once bright and full of promise, was taken way too early. Thank you guys for joining us for Debbie's story. And a huge thank you to Christy for letting us invade her space, move her organized piles. (laughs) That we both related to. Yes. And making us feel at home. 
Also, thank you to her kids who let us steal their mom for the evening. Yes, all of that. Now, Chrissy also has her own podcast that goes over this case in detail from her perspective. It is fantastic, so be sure to check out Defending the Lion on Audible. If you're interested in what else we talked about with Christy, we will have a link on our website to the rest of our interview. So go to www.travelingtransgressions.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Dr. Sexy Mama tickling the audio keyboard. And everyone's favorite fire ant digging up the dirt. Okay, but seriously, audio and production by Teresa Vestal. Researched and written by Tiffany King. Special thanks to Chrissy Shepard for graciously meeting with us and giving us an insight into her family. Join us next time as we journey to Alabama and see what transgressions we unpack.